0: Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John, and I'm Andy. You know, it's uh, it's recently occurred to me we start every episode that way, and <laughs> it has got to be annoying to people who want to know what we're talking about <laughs> when we when they actually start the episode.
1: I mean, I that's true, I guess, but this is Saga Thing, and you start with. <laughs> the introduction of the people and the larger problem is not have our catchphrase yeah it's oh what so the introduction our names is a catchphrase now that's right Uh uh-huh sure anyway uh i I think the larger problem is the way that we bang on after introducing ourselves without mentioning what's happening in the episode maybe that's the thing that's the problem you
0: mean you mean you mean mean like this
1: (laughs) yeah like we're doing right now yes
0: right uh well this is our third and final summary episode on the saga of thord menace is
1: that better Well, I mean, it solves the immediate problem. Uh, It does raise a few questions, though.
0: Uh, Does that question have anything to do with the fact that it's taken us three episodes to get through this fairly short saga? Exactly
1: the question I had in mind. Yes, yes. What are we doing here?
0: I mean, it's been a ride. (laughs) Uh, I mean, in the last episode, we ended up caught in a narrative loop as one group after another tried to kill Thord Menace. Yeah, yeah. And the episode before that... We had so many things to cover that we went on for way too long.
1: (laughs) So the plan this time is to go lean and mean, get this thing done, and be home in time for supper. Well, I mean, that's uh, lean and mean. That's our wheelhouse right there. (laughs) We're
0: keeping it short and crisp. Consider it crisped and shortened. Excellent. Uh, Why don't we dive right in and explain to the nice people what happened. Last time on The Saga of Thorn Menace. After killing an obnoxious man named Orm for harassing Thord's sister Sigrid, Thord spent our last episode reaping the whirlwind for his good deed. One assassination attempt came hot on the heels of another, as Orm's friends and family sought to get their own back
1: on Thord for his fell deed. Just one after another after another. Orm's partner Indridi was the first to strike, but he lost four companions and nearly lost his life in a failed ambush against Thord. And when Thord saved Indridi's life by bringing him to a healer, Indridi decided that Thord's a good egg after all, and warned him of a more serious threat in the person of Orm's cousin, Ozur the Gothi. But before he could deal with that, Thord spent a winter recovering from his own injuries with the help of a healer named Olof Hrolif's daughter and her buffoonish husband, Thorhall.
0: Meanwhile, Ozur's wasting no time. He attacks Thor once. He attacks Thor twice. He goes for the hat trick attacking Thord a third time, but every time, Thord escapes or even triumphs over Ozur, where Ozur's main accomplishment is an own side body count that would make Jack the Ripper blush. An interesting comparison. Thank you. During the third attack, Ozur and Thord finally put up their dukes and have it out, and Ozur is killed, but Thord is injured once again, and spends time
1: healing up from his latest brush with mortality meanwhile two more men are now trying to get in on the ground floor of the thord killing game orm's brother Asbjorn and orm's uncle skeggy of midfjord but things are getting more complicated as because Asbjorn is engaged to thord's sister secret and skeggy's the father of thord's foster son aid will thord's luck hold will orm ever be avenged and what's with those subtle glances thord and olaf the healer keep sharing find out this time on the saga of thord menace Chapters 10 to
0: 14. Oh, look at you. You just uh, folded the preview into the review. Mm -hmm. Definitely done. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm having flashbacks here. Uh, There were times when it seemed like the entire world wanted to form small groups of men to try to kill Thord Menace.
0: Yeah, this saga really slid into some narrative redundancies over the last few chapters. I think it bothered you more than it bothered me, which is... Something of a departure for both of
1: us. (laughs) Well, it just got so repetitive. Uh, A few altered details don't change the essential sameness of those episodes when you really get down to it, John. Uh, If you fed me McDonald's for a week straight, well, uh, I wouldn't be terribly happy about it. But uh, I don't (laughs) think I'd care if you left out pickles on Thursday. I would just feel sick.
0: Well, I'm not feeding you at all. You're a big boy and cooking's not that hard.
1: (laughs) But I see your point.
0: I just think the author does do a fair amount of shifting of set pieces and it felt more
1: conscious to me, more deliberate, Mm.
0: more like a, a riff on the ways that an episode might be told rather than a repetition of the same story.
1: Mm. Okay, yeah. Uh, but we are getting into the judgment soon, um, and we should probably save all of that assessment. We've been I feel like each time we've started the saga, uh, new episodes, we we want to... We start judging. Yeah, we start judging. We want to share our thoughts on it. But uh, let's save all that, um, and let's get into the third and final section of Thord Saga, shall we? All right. Nice quick start this time. I like it. Yeah. Lead the way. Okay. Part 13, Under
0: the Moonlight.
1: Ooh, well, that sounds lovely. Doesn't it? So the saga now returns just briefly to Midfjord, where Skeggi is hatching a plan of his own. Just a plan? Is it a cunning plan? Sure, yeah, if you'd like, but this cunning plan isn't complicated or convoluted mm. in any way. Skeggi's just heard reports of Thord's activities and of the recent death of his kinsman, Ozur, and he's understandably angry that Thord keeps killing his kinsmen.
0: At, even though most of them are pretty awful.
1: Well, I mean, family's family, John. Uh, but as you'll recall from our first episode on Thor's saga, Skeggy can't get at Thor because Aeth will always fight on the side of his foster father over his real father. That's right.
0: Uh, Skeggy tried to avenge the death of Orm himself, but chose to walk away when Aeth
1: took up arms with Thor. Yeah, and Skeggy knows that if Aeth catches wind of any plan to attack Thor, he'll likely get in the way again, so... Right. So what's this uh, sort of cunning plan? Well, I mean, first of all, he's playing it very cool after hearing about Ozer's death. He's raging inside, but he doesn't show it or express his anger to anyone. Keeps it, keeps it close. Right.
0: It's another of those rare occurrences where an author is just telling us flat out how a character is feeling. Uh, we don't make a big deal of it usually, largely because it doesn't come up. But these sagas typically report actions, not feelings. Right. Yeah. It's up to the reader to figure out how characters feel. Uh, Now, this is a few times now where the Thor Saga author is offering a direct statement on someone's emotional state. It's cool. It's
1: unusual, but it's cool. Uh, So what else is Skeggy doing? Well, he's also arranged to have 12 horses prepped and stabled in secret. And the plan is to ride out against Thor as soon as the Yule Feasts are finished. And that's exactly what he does.
0: Yeah, so with a band of 11 men, he rides out under cover of darkness from his farm and makes his way to Mm
1: Miklabaoth. Uh, arriving just before daybreak. Yeah, now, leaving under cover of darkness wouldn't be that hard for Skeggy, since there are only like four and a half hours of daylight in late December in Iceland. But the ride Fair. from Reykjur to Miklaver is no joke. I use some rough estimates of locations for these farms, and it's still something like 90 to 100 miles between the two. So, like, you could drive mm. that in a car in a little under two hours, but going by horse or by foot... It's a lot longer. Like by foot, that's 30 plus hours. Right. I mean, a, the problem with that is that the
0: text throughout is using a kind of imaginary geography. Yes. Right? It's acting as if those farms are much closer to Absolutely, each other. Absolutely, yeah. Right. We have numerous trips that do not seem to take more than a day. Yeah. Um, but right. So if we look at a real map, this is going to be quite a trip. But they are
1: on horseback. And so you can hope that would cut the time significantly. Yeah, I think so. But, but even a horse, even one that is well-trained with a strong rider from my research anyway, can't really cover 90 miles in a day over rough terrain. Like I said, I'm no expert, but from what I can tell, a good horse traveling through open terrain on rolling hills is probably only going to cover about 25 to 30 miles. And that's that's on the extreme end.
0: So, you know, it would really help if they had more than one horsepower.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so
0: <laughs> it's safe to say that the impression the author is giving here of Skeggy riding out after dinner and arriving at Mick Leber just before sunrise— Again, it's either based on a kind of fictional geography or it's a bit far-fetched.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it is a fiction, but to be fair, the text doesn't actually say that they never stopped and that the sun never rose and then set a few times along the way.
0: I mean, he does imply it rather strongly,
1: though. Well, I mean, unless he's riding a gas-powered horse that travels at reasonably fast speeds for long periods of time, then it's all a fiction. All right. Well, I suppose that was an essential detour you took us on. Yes, yes, it, it was. Um, now let's uh, let's get back on track. Go ahead, you do it. I'm glad to.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, uh, Skeggy arrives sometime before daybreak, whatever day that occurs, and
1: whatever time that uh, the, might be in the darkness of life. winter.
0: Uh, sure. Uh, the moon is bright; it's shining down on Thorhall's farmstead and providing Skeggy with plenty of light to scope out the scene. He approaches the door of the main building and
1: knocks loudly. He knocks. John, what kind of ambush is this where you're knocking?
0: Uh, That's just it. He's not trying to ambush Thor. He's looking to confront him directly and honorably.
1: Oh, well, well, that's a bold move. Admirable, even.
0: I mean, you know, say what you want about Skeggy. He's doing this the right Mm -hmm. way. And when a man answers the door, no doubt groggy given the hour, Skeggy asks if Thor is there. The man says,
1: what do you want with him? Yeah, and Skeggy responds with what I think is one of the best lines in the saga. He -hmm. says... Ask him whether he would rather suffer Skofnung's blows indoors or out. And that, my friends, is one of the best lines we've seen in a good long while in the sagas. And I think a strong contender for notable wizardism.
0: I want to point out that you've, uh, you've put in four or five candidates for notable witticism in this saga yourself well, already. Well,
1: you know, they keep getting better as we go.
0: There you go. I like there it. They keep upping their game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the servant brings that message to Thorth, uh, and Thorth immediately stands up and grabs his weapon. So
1: challenge accepted. Yeah, and then Olaf, the lovely wife of Thorhall, is right there, and she calls out to the men of the house, Arm yourselves and defend this brave fellow, because there are plenty of gallant men here to ensure that Skeggy's journey turns out badly for him.
0: the woman's voice you give to her
1: um you like that uh, i could go full monty python with it
0: um uh, i mean <laughs> that wasn't full no no uh well Olaf is speaking well here but unfortunately her husband thorhall doesn't see things that way he says no i forbid anyone in my household to offer skeggy any form of resistance let us not bring shame upon this house by disrespecting a gothi from another district
1: like that. Yeah, and Olaf hears this and shakes her head in disbelief. I've known for a long time now that you are useless with weapons and a shameless coward. Yeah, it's a
0: good exchange. It's what we've been expecting for some time yeah. now, right? The tension between these two has been ramping up. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's nice to finally see them communicating freely with each other.
0: Just let it out, Olaf. Let <laughs> it out. <laughs> An advocate for open communication in marriage. Absolutely. Just ask uh, my wife. Right, well... <laughs> Uh, well, Thor doesn't exactly take Olaf's side here either. Uh, he steps in front of her and says, the husband should rule the home mistress. Mm. And he walks out the door by himself.
1: Mm. Sorry, ladies. So, uh, yeah, do you think, uh, (laughs) you think Thor may have just lost the support of some of our listening audience?
0: Uh, I'll say two things. Uh, first, whatever you want to say about Thor as a a, a more enlightened, even Christian-like approach to dealing with his enemies, uh... He's still a man of his age, right? as you said, mm-hmm. and since he's a character in a story written in a very Christian era, he's obviously going to reinforce certain Christian ideals, like the stricter division of gender roles that was so important in the late Middle Ages and
1: beyond that. Really. Yeah, yeah, well beyond that. Uh, we're still coming out of that just now, I think.
0: Of course, yeah. Uh, and we should acknowledge that the division of labor that was traditional— Makes it far from a given that men were ruling their homes. Right. This this is a patriarchal culture, no doubt, but women had a great deal of authority in the home. Uh, and one thing the sagas teach us is that the power dynamics of any given marriage are going to be specific to that particular couple.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to try to universalize the rules based on a relationship like Olaf and Thorhall's. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that this fits nicely with uh, Thor's general approach to these situations. Mm-hmm. Right? He's unusual. He considers the safety and welfare of others when entering or exiting combat. And I
1: feel like this might be what he's doing here as well. Yeah, I agree. But uh, Thorhall is still a coward, of course.
0: Oh, Oh, definitely.
1: But Thord is respectful of his host by supporting him in his arguments. And by doing so, he can hopefully ensure that no one else in the household gets injured on his behalf. So it's kind of noble when you look at it like that. Kind of. If you squint just right.
0: (laughs) Uh, But that's Thorth, right? He's in some ways an idealized hero Mm -hmm. Uh, and coded, I think, as proto-Christian. I think absolutely. Not actually Christian, obviously, because the timing's off. But one of those figures whose behavior anticipates the new ideals of a faith
1: and church that, of course, were much more familiar to saga audiences. Right, right. He's clearly meant to prefigure that kind of an Icelandic Christian ideal. Um, And we're going to have some fun analyzing him in the judgment section, I think.
0: Yeah, we should save it for judgments, though. We keep saying that. Uh, for now, though, Thorth walks out to confront Skegi at long last. Any uh, Morricone music playing in the background, no doubt. And as you might expect, Thorth has a poem for the occasion. I'll do your will, Skegi, for all that you urge me, And come out braving their bright keen swords, If the steerers of ocean steeds take me to the site Where I slew strong Ozur with a willing hand.
1: Hmm. So not only does Thorth admit to killing Ozur, which is fine, by the way, he also wants to take Skeggy to the exact spot where he did it and buried him. John, why? Yeah.
0: It, it Andy, it's drama. Uh-huh.
1: Where's your sense of aesthetic and literary symmetry? Okay, well, sure, sure. When you put it like that, well, Skeggy happens to agree with both you and Thorth, and he says, "I think it's <laughs> fitting that a revenge should happen there."
0: See, Skeggy's learned his basic literary analysis. Yes,
1: and then they walk together to the place where Ozur was buried.
0: Right. Now, as the two men circle the mound, Thor taunts Skeggy with yet another verse, uh, this time urging him to action. Oh, boy. Now, you'd best redden your sword in my blood, brave Skeggy, if it's yours to say which side of life I'll land on when evening falls. But recall... Those other two I killed, kinsmen of yours, worker of wound with Odin's moon.
1: Hmm. Mm. Not not a great poem that one, but I get it. Well, Thor is not a great poet. <laughs> what What it is though is a brash provocation of Skeggy. I think that's what's going on here, and it's all mm-hmm. Skeggy needed to hear. Both men draw their swords. That's right. Skofnung is out and ready for action. Yes, it's finally go time. The saga has teased this clash since Thorth first arrived in Iceland. Let's go. Let's do it. Nope. Wait, Come Andy. On, Not so time. fast. Tamp
0: that bloodlust down. Why? Why? Because 18 men suddenly arrive. Led by Aeth and Thor's brothers, Aelf and Stanger. This damn saga, John. I know. Uh, they charge forward and they separate the two combatants.
1: Unbelievable. Come on.
0: Sorry. Uh, apparently, Aeth discovered his father's plan and rushed after ah. him to intervene on Thor's behalf. He stands before Skeggy and offers him two options. Either to let Thorth go and allow him to return to his farm at awesome in Peace, or he, Aeth, w- himself would help Thorth put an end to this feud. Yeah, well. In other words, he'll fight on his foster father's yeah.
1: side. And that hurts Skeggy. And he admits as much, saying that he's not surprised that Aeth would defend Thorth Since you value your foster father so much more than your kinship with me.
0: (laughs) I mean, we've said before, Skeggy is justified in feeling hurt by Aeth's preference for Thor. But Aeth is also, he also has a point there. Uh, He reminds Skeggy that all of Thor's killings were committed in self-defense,
1: except the slaying of Orm. And that one was well-earned given Orm's behavior toward Thor's sister. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So Skeggy is once again forced to choose between his son and his animosity towards Thor. And just as before, he chooses his son. He says that Aeth will have his way, and then he refuses to battle against Thorth and his son.
0: Right. And now something surprising
1: happens. Yeah, yeah. Skeggy's got a thirst for blood, and he can't quench it in battle with Thorth.
0: No, uh, but remember, he's also carrying a sword that there's a rule about. Uh, Skofnung must taste blood once it's been drawn. Mm-hmm. Right, that's a rule of this particular sword. Uh, so that same night, he rides back to Mikleber and bursts into Thorhall's house with his sword still drawn. He makes his way to Thorhall and Olaf's room, drags Thorhall out of the bed, saying he's
1: put up with this chicken for too long. Yeah, yeah. The word he uses is "klakisman" in Old Norse, which means a cowardly or disgraceful man. I really mm-hmm. like "chicken" as a translation here. Yeah, I like it better.
0: Um, yeah, and you might be surprised to learn that Olaf gets up and begs Skeggy to p- spare Thorol's life. Uh, I mean, you'd be surprised because of the way she's been yes, talking exactly. to Thorol for
1: most of the saga. But she doesn't want uh, to see him slaughtered right in front of her. No, no.
0: But the, the begging is to no avail. Skeggy grabs Thorol by the hair, drags him to the side of the bed, and chops his head off.
1: Yeah, and this, this, uh, this moment was illustrated for us by our resident illustrator, uh, Jacob Faust, a.k.a. Uh, Scarpe then underscore illustrator. It's great. He shows uh, Thorhall cowering before Skeggy, and uh, mm. yeah, it's good. It's in our show notes. You can also check out there um, a really cool image that he did, a portrait of Skeggy. Um, that's going to be our lead image for for this episode. Uh, really nice. Almost looks like a woodcut with nice flowing beard, hair, and hair. Uh, Skeggy's ha- much more handsome than I would have thought. <laughs> so anyway, this is this is a really harsh move, the decapitation. Yeah. Of Thorhall, but to be fair to Skaggy, Thorhall had harbored Thord knowing full well that he had slain Skaggy's kinsman. So, I mean, sure, uh, and this is exactly what Thorhall worried about
0: when Thor yeah, showed up. Yeah, remember that argument? Uh, Olaf chided him for trying to turn Thor away, but it's clear that Thorhall should have followed his instincts. And not allowed Olaf to push him around so easily if he didn't want to anger Skeggy. Well, he
1: might be a foot and a half taller had he listened to those instincts. I mean, certainly
0: he'd have have more places to stick his (laughs) hat.
1: That's right. It's also an important moment for the further development of Skeggy's character and his complicated relationship with Thorth. Standing over Thorhall's decapitated corpse, he explains his actions, saying, It is more fitting to sheath skofnung in your blood than Thorth's, because it would have been a great loss if he died. And you won't be missed at all. Now I have paid Skovnung back for drawing it. That's harsh. And Thorhall is now out of the saga. (laughs) You think? I do, yes.
0: No, he's not going to wander around as a headless Draugr, maybe?
1: Nope, nope, no. He doesn't have the cojones to return as a Draugr. He's going to find himself a nice, quiet space down in Helheim, and he's going to enjoy being free of the troubles of the world.
0: Well, oh, good for him. Mm-hmm. A little peace and quiet's all anyone's mm-hmm. asked for.
1: Yeah, and now that Thor Hall's out of the way, well, Thor maybe can finally make a move on that, that good looking Olaf that's hanging around that building. Aye, come on now. As a great man once said,
0: let's not be hasty. Uh, that, Thor uh, is going to your, go visit.
1: Treebeard, the Ent?
0: Uh, well, he's, he's man shaped, more or less. Uh-huh. He's a great man. Uh-huh. Uh, he's great man shaped. <laughs> Uh, Thor approaches Olaf after about a week, uh, and he asks Olaf not to marry anyone else for two years, because as he puts it, you're just the kind of woman most likely to win my love.
1: First of all, that's very sweet. But second of Mm. all, we have another two-year betrothal proposition. Yes, we do. I I also can't help but recall the sage words of a more recent philosopher. I can't quite Mm. recall the name, but she said something to the effect of, Oh, 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 oh. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh,
0: yes. Uh, Was that Gollum by any chance? No, I said
1: philosopher. Although we might stretch that to include poets. Sure. Uh, Seneca the Elder. Mm -mm. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. No, no, uh, far more recent than that. And besides, I said she, John. Are the people you've mentioned women so far? Hmm?
0: Uh, Hildegard of Bingen, then?
1: (laughs) Still pretty far off, No.
0: Uh, you know, I hope you aren't playing on streaming this bit out on the assumption that I'm going to come up with the right answer, because I honestly have no idea whose song that is. Who said it's a song? And you never studied, of course. I know it's a song. <laughs> I mean, regardless of who you're talking about, uh, Olaf isn't worried. Uh, she promises to wait for Thor as long as he needs, because she's not likely to find a better match than him.
1: And with that, Thor and his good friend Avon ride together over the hills back west to Midfjord. And they return home to the farm at Oss, And a whole winter passes, and everything is peaceful. That's so nice.
0: And now, all the would-be avengers of Orm's death have been dealt with, and Thor can finally get on with his life.
1: And then, a ship lands at Blondus.
0: That sounds ominous. Was, Was that meant to sound ominous? Yeah. Part 14. If at first you don't succeed...
1: So, uh, that ship that landed, hmm. Uh, yeah, that ship. What about it? Who's on it? Captain Osbjorn! <laughs> How's that? this to be a superhero introduction? Uh, yeah, maybe I mean, only a little. It, it's just that we've already met this guy. We have, yes. Osbjorn is the brother of Orm, the man mm-hmm. that Thord killed back in our first episode. Uh, and Orm had so many relatives, and they all seem to want to kill Thord Menace. Yeah, well, you have to admit that Asbjorn has better cause than most. Orm was his brother.
0: I, yeah, but it's not really that simple, is it? I mean, yes, bonds of brotherly love and all that. But Asbjorn is engaged to marry Thor's sister Sigrid. Yes. And Thor killed Orm for inappropriate behavior toward Asbjorn's
1: fiancée. Nuance, John. Mere nuance. <laughs> as far as Asbjorn concerned, the first and only priority is looking for revenge for his brother's death. His terrible, terrible brother. God. No, Right, uh, he's just the worst. But Osbjorn sees this as a clear matter of fraternal duty. He mm-hmm. spends a winter with his old friend Skeggy, but Skeggy's not exactly egging him on. Instead, he's discouraging a direct attack on the grounds that Skeggy's son, Aeth, is staying with Thorth still. And he's got nine men with him. Right, now as it happens, Osbjorn has brought 17 men along with
0: him, so Ooh. he'd still have a numbers advantage, but it's not overwhelming. Well, I mean we've seen other people lose with better odds against Thor. Yeah, and more importantly, Aeth's friendship with Thor and his self-appointed status as Thor's bodyguard means that Skeggy still has to worry about one of those conflicts getting too violent. Mm-hmm. He just can't afford to go after Thor with everything he's got. Right? He can't put all of his resources into this. Uh, but Osbjorn isn't
1: held back by those concerns. Yeah, and to add to that danger, there are more people involved than just Aeth and Osbjorn and their men. Skeggy mm-hmm. has a man with him named Thorbjorn the Mean, who's known as a miserly man, but he's made Skeggy his heir and lives on Skeggy's land. And he's mm-hmm. willing to back Skeggy or Osbjorn in any fight against Thor and Aeth.
0: Right. And then on the other side, there's another guy, a farmer named Thorbjorn, mm-hmm. who's made Thorth his heir. Yeah. And this is not the same Thorbjorn who made Skeggy his heir. This is an undersized but scrappy man named Puny Thorbjorn. I love it. That's so uh, and he lives on Thor's land. Uh,
1: and he's also <laughs> willing to back Thor against all comers. You see, this is where we can really see the limits of this saga writer's authorial style. <laughs> he's so focused on parallelism and repetition that he completely abandons credulity. So suddenly both Skeggy and Thorth have pensioners named Thorbjorn living on their farms, neither of whom uh-huh. have ever been mentioned before this point, uh-huh. both of whom have made their landlord their beneficiary, and I mean, both as of you whom do are equally willing to involve themselves in this feud. The seams are definitely showing here. Maybe.
0: Again, I mean, we keep getting dragged into this judgment stuff, but I think we're weirdly on opposite sides of our usual perspectives here. This saga is more folkloric and clearly hmm. more written than most of the sagas we've read. But that isn't necessarily a flaw in the author's art. This is a story that's obviously aware of itself as a story, or at least to not be so precious about it, is obviously working from a story structure. And in that tradition, parallelism and repetition are tools of the trade. I'm not arguing this is a perfect example of folkloric storytelling, but I think we have to use different criteria here uh, to judge this one.
1: Hmm. Nah. Nah.
0: Now, uh, you can nah me, sir, but you can't nah structuralism and literary tradition. No, I can if I want to. I see. Well, mm-hmm. to say. Uh, by the way, I'm not saying this author is great at playing with literary convention, just that he clearly wants
1: to do it. Okay, there there we can agree. <laughs> there we can agree. <laughs> now, we're wandering into judgments again, but uh, back to the story. In the same summer that Osbjorn's ship arrives, a merchant ship arrives at Fita in Borgfjord, and another market is held. So similar to something that happened early in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, Parallelism. Yes. Thorth so. takes 11 men with him to the fair, including puny Thorbjorn. But Aeth is away looking after some of Thorbjorn's livestock, so they leave without him. Right, but he's
0: got new backup. Uh, At the fair, Thorth meets with his brothers, Eilf and Stingram, uh, uh, again, the the Thordesans, and they decide to ride back to Thorth's farm at the end of the market. Uh, Since we've already seen them assaulting a king's hall back uh, back in Norway and committing regicide to protect their family's honor, we can be pretty sure they'll
1: fight their sister's fiancée if they have to. Yeah. Probably a safe bet, I think. Uh, And while that's going on, Skeggy learns that Thord's at the market. Mm -hmm. So Skeggy, Skeggy's nephew Asbjorn, their kinsman Haldor, and Thorbjorn the Mean, they all lead a group of 18 men to intercept the Thordersons on their way home from the market. Mm.
0: And just to complicate this a little further, Aeth is worried when he returns and learns that Thor is out traveling. So he takes 13 other men
1: and rides out to try to meet up with Thor and escort him home. Yeah, so now we've got three different groups riding along the same route.
0: Yeah, uh, Skeggy's got the largest group. Uh, Thor and Aeth have more men all together, but they're separated,
1: and they don't necessarily know where to find each other. Now, I'll give this author some credit. He does build tension in some interesting mm-hmm. ways. Uh, there's there's a theatricality to what's going on here that I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Storytelling. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, Skaggy and his men ride as far as Arnarvatn, uh, just north of Borgafjord, before they spot Thor's groups coming, and then they try to set up an ambush.
0: Right, but of course, as is usual with these, uh, Thor and his brother Eolf have already spotted them. Uh, Thor looks for a moment, then turns to Eolf and says, So, do you recognize anyone in that
1: group there? Um, uh, not entirely sure, but my guess is that it's most likely to be Skaggy. And Thorth sighs. That family's been trying to ambush me for a long time. No sh**. <laughs> <laughs> you see, even Thorth getting tired of the repetitiveness of this whole thing. Uh, not <laughs> since uh, Bjorn, champion of the Hittardal people, have we seen something so repetitive. Um, and, and part of that repetition is that Thorth's ambushers are so bad at it. Yeah. Part of ambushing is surprising your victim. Now, that's what makes an ambush, as far as I'm concerned. You have to catch the person unawares. Uh, these aren't ambushes. These are just guys walking across very flat ter- turf uh, in the open. Uh, they're really attacks with a vague stealthy element added. They're more bushes. Yes. Uh, well, the not-so-stealthy part
0: of the attack is coming now, mm-hmm. uh, because the two groups charge at each other. Right Again, not so much an ambush as an attack. Uh, all fourteen men on Thor's side, all eighteen men on Skeggy's. Uh, both sides now throw spears as they run. Thor's spear actually kills two men, uh, Halder and a man behind him, who are pinned together and drop on the spot. In the initial crush of battle, Thor chops a third man's head off before reaching Skeggy, and the two of them wait, wait. start. fighting. That's his
1: signature move, John. Oh no, he I, chopping well, no, no, just his head in Half
0: just his head. He's a little off his usual uh his usual aim. Yes. Uh, uh, as they're fighting, Stangrim Thorthesson uh, turns out to be a major factor in the battle. Uh, he just wades in and kills four men over the course of the fight.
1: Yeah. Several men are wounded or killed in the chaos. And Thorth's side is hard hit during the first moments of the battle. And we later learn that nearly half of his men are wiped out. And somewhere in the fighting, Thorbjorn the Mean and Puny Thorbjorn find each other. And to no one's shock, they cancel each other out by killing each other simultaneously. Uh, a moment of silence for our twin folkloric constructs, please. Yeah, well, we're in the middle of the battle here, so uh, that's a nice <laughs> windfall for Skeggy and Thorth, by the way. Remember, they both inherit from those two. That's that's pretty callous, Andy. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, but in the first rush, Osborn tries to reach Thorth, but Eil Thortherson intercepts them, and the two of them square off. They're evenly matched, and both take several wounds pretty quickly. Right Now, eventually, Staingrim charges into Skeggy,
0: while Thorth is shoved back by a group of men and turns to fighting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thorth eventually kills several more men, and Stangrim actually manages to hold his own against
1: Skeggy, while Thorth works his way back through the brawl to, finish, to try to finish Skeggy off. Yeah, And this is the moment when Aeth and his men arrive, and they mm-hmm. charge into the battle. But Aeth's not trying to attack. He throws himself like an isthmus, you might say. In between Skeggy <laughs> and Thor, Not that an isthmus would throw itself at anything, but you know how. You know I was going mean. to say,
0: that's, a, that's an odd behavior for an isthmus. Yeah.
1: Well, just as Skeggy and Thor are about to clash, there he is, Aeth, right between them, forcing the two sides to stop fighting.
0: Uh, yeah, Aeth's instincts are noble and all, uh, but these inconclusive fights are racking up a heck of a body count.
1: It's true, yeah. So Skeggy and Ospjorn, who are now at a huge numbers disadvantage, ride home. Mm-hmm. Osborn is laid up for the rest of the summer and into the fall with his injuries, but he does survive. And when all the living and dead have been accounted for, 20 men have been killed. 20. 13 of Skeggy's men, including Thorbjörn the Mean and Haldor, and 7 of Thord's, including puny Thorbjörn.
0: Again, I know we're accepting this is a story with almost no relationship to reality, but this fictional
1: district is really absorbing some heavy losses <laughs> over the years. sure city. is. That's pretty much what Aeth is thinking too. So near the start of winter, he takes his nine followers and rides out to his father's farm to finally confront him.
0: You, you keep ending with ominous. Ah. Part 50.
1: Try, try again. It's not that ominous, though. Aeth is going to his father's house. It's not like some dangerous enemy, at least not dangerous to Aeth anyway.
0: Sure. I mean, there are other people at Skeggy's farm, though, including well, Asbjorn and a few other survivors of the battle who might slightly resent the way things turned out.
1: Nah, it's fine. Sure. Aeth and his father exchange greetings and Aeth then gets straight to the point. He says, I want to make peace between you and Thor, father.
0: So he's just going to remain uh, a 12 year old boy for your ent- the entire saga in your mind
1: yes yes so I mean I, I have to distinguish I don't have that many voices um <laughs> <laughs> so this is how i distinguish someone who's younger
0: I see someone who's right. older right. Pl- plenty of time for that son but please stay with us for the winter and he does but aid and asbjorn are clearly on edge around each other throughout the season
1: yeah well that's mainly because aid suspects that Osbjorn is secretly pushing skeggy to make another assassination attempt on Thorth Mm-hmm. He is, by the way. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely is. So Aeth sends a message to Thorth to be on his guard and keep men around him. And then one morning, Aeth wakes up to discover that Skegi has left the farm secretly with a few men. Mm-hmm. And that Osbjorn has gone to the hot spring at Torvastadr with six other armed men. Suspicious. Very suspicious. And you could say that again. Suspicious. No, you're not going to do very suspicious. I said. No, I'm, I'm only, I'm only going to, I'm only willing to push that gag so far. Okay. Well, once again, you and Aeth are on a wavelength here. It's almost like you've read what he's been thinking. It's a talent. Hmm, it's impressive. I, I, I really like it. Yeah, you know. So Aeth grabs his gear and his nine men, and he rides off after his father, and he catches up with Skeggy near the hot spring where Osbjorn is waiting with his men, mm-hmm. and Skeggy, of course, looks surprised. Sorry.
0: So. Where are you riding to, Eve?
1: Oh, nowhere in particular. I-, I just wanted to join you, Father.
0: Oh, nice. Well, you're you're welcome to do that, son, but uh, I actually think I'll be
1: heading back home now as I, I feel a bit ill. Oh, mm-hmm, yes. Smooth, smooth cover. cover. <laughs> yeah. I-, I see. Well, that's as may be, Father, but I think I'll ride on to Torvastather as I've got business there. Mm-hmm. And with that, they part without another word. Now,
0: the funny thing about this is how plausible it is. It is. We've already established that Skegi and Asbjorn like lounging around at the Torfestad and Hot Springs together. Mm-hmm. That's how they originally saw Sigrid, Thord's sister, remember? Uh, and that's how they started all this trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we know they enjoy going there. And Asbjorn really is at the Hot Spring. But we don't know what he has planned to do next. It's all quite ambiguous. I mean, it's not that
1: ambiguous. Now, I suppose that's the wrong word.
0: It all has plausible deniability.
1: <laughs> I mean, if Skeggy weren't such a terrible liar, that is, maybe.
0: Well, are you saying he's not a young man anymore, Andy? Are you saying he didn't suddenly come down with an upset tummy just as Aeth caught up to him?
1: <laughs> no, I do not, no. Uh,
0: uh. Yeah, I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for my meddling kid.
1: Pretty much, yes. So the whole thing's been smoothed over at this point, right? We can just... Wrong. No, of course. Uh, because
0: not. the action now shifts to Thor's farm, where Thor has been having dreams again.
1: This is one thing this author does do well the use of a shifting point of view to add immediacy and tension mm-hmm. to the action.
0: Right. Yeah. He also wisely doesn't make us go through another full dream interpretation.
1: Yeah. Let the uh, dream instead, speak for Thorth, itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Thor tells his brothers My dreams have told me that Skeggy and Asbjorn are trying to kill me once more. I'm going to set a trap today myself if I get a chance to. I don't want those two hanging over my head any longer.
1: So now Thor is setting ambushes.
0: Not exactly. Uh, no one in this saga is much good at ambushes. He just rides with his brothers uh, and his friend, Avon the farmer, and three other men uh, straight to Skeggy and Asbjord.
1: I mean, that's pretty much as good an ambush as Skeggy and friends have been managing <laughs> themselves, right?
0: <laughs> it's, it's true. That's fair.
1: Yeah, and meanwhile, Osborn and his men have finished their soak in the hot spring, and they're feeling mm. really relaxed and mellow. Nice. And so they pack up and start for home, and are actually well on their way before they spot Thor and his men riding toward them, and they immediately. Whoa! whoa wait. So they were really
0: just out for a spa day. This this wasn't all some nefarious scheme.
1: Well, I mean, if you're whether it is or not, are you think you're going to just walk by the hot spring and not go for
0: a soak? Fair. <laughs>
1: But anyway, they're they're acting the way they would if they were innocent, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also acting the way they would if they'd spent all morning waiting for the rest of their crew to arrive before trying to attack Thor's farm.
0: Mm. So it's a mystery lost to the ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, Thor and company are riding for Asbjorn,
1: and Asbjorn and his men run to a defensive position on a hill and wait for the attack to come to them. It's good thinking. Uh, When Thor's
0: crew arrives. There's no exchange of witty remarks or understated threats. These two groups are sick of each other, and they just charge mm. straight in.
1: It's seven on seven, a fair fight, but Thorth has the better fighters, and he kills a man right away, and his brothers and friends kill two more. Osbjorn's men managed to kill one of Thorth's companions, but now it's six to four.
0: Right, and then Thorth finally reaches Osbjorn and
1: deals a deep wound to him
0: so that he can barely mm. hold a weapon any longer.
1: Yeah, and it's looking grim for Osbjorn, but... Before Thorth can strike that fatal blow, Skeggi charges into the fray from out of nowhere. And he's got his supernaturally potent sword, Skolfnung, out. And he's swinging.
0: Right, and Skeggy ju- uh, jumps in front of Asbjorn to protect him and yells at him, Why didn't you run away, you idiot?
1: And that's when Asbjorn speaks a verse in response. My thoughts were turned to the white tree, burdened with bangles. Skeggi, harsh is the spear's meeting. I need your help, kinsmen. When we kin join forces, we shall fight keenly back. I do not flee the fray, mindful of the maiden of threads. And then he falls down, weak from loss of blood. Right,
0: but this isn't the end of Asbjorn though. He's, he's wounded, not dead.
1: No. Uh, this is just another in a series of people being badly wounded in this saga, but not quite dying of their wounds. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, Skeggy's in a rage. And he slashes Thor within the shoulder, biting deeply into the flesh.
0: Right. But just as he does that, Aeth now arrives with his men and breaks up the fight. Again. And he's as angry as his father. Uh, He stands over Asbjorn, sword in hand, and says he's going to kill him where he lies unless Skeggy and Asbjorn allow him, Aeth, to arbitrate a settlement. Right Right
1: then and there. Well, that's an offer that's hard to refuse when you're in that position.
0: It's a bit out of character for Abe, though. He's a lawyer, not a killer. We haven't actually seen him behave violently at all in all of this. He's always
1: the one forcing people to stop fighting. Yeah, well, this is one way of stopping the fighting, and he might, he might just be bluffing. Ah, uh, If it's a bluff, it's a good one. Right, well, because once more, Skeggy's not willing to act against his own son. And Aspioran's practically fainting from the blood loss and in no position to argue. He says... Mm-hmm. I only came to Iceland to fetch Sigrid my wife-to-be, but when I heard of my brother's death I was forced to avenge him. Now, though, things have turned out so that I'd rather have peace with Thor, <laughs> and I would like to keep talking, despite all of my loss of blood. I have many, right. many things to say about my journeys, the things that I saw on the way, the yeah, people that I met. Things get positively
0: Shakespearean around here. Yes. But now Aspiron wants peace. Yes. Everybody does. wants peace when they're on the ground with an armed lawyer standing over them.
1: I mean, that's either the best or the dumbest thing I've heard you say in a long time, John.
0: <laughs> Stick around. I'll probably top it soon, one way or another.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh Anyway, Thor grumbles. I grant my foster son the glory in this matter. If it were up to me, the fun and games would turn out as they were bound to.
1: Thor's a little cranky here.
0: Well, he's holding his shoulder together with his good hand, so he's he's not in the best of moods.
1: Well, he's got that bloodlust in him, too. Yep. So the armed lawyer now forces all three men to shake hands and agree to live by the settlement that he proposes. Mm -hmm. And Aeth says that he's going to announce the settlement at the local thing. So everyone goes home. And aid has to help Thor, whose shoulder injury is pretty serious.
0: It's quite serious,
1: really. Uh, it gets infected.
0: And to quote, Thorth's hand swelled right up.
1: Just like two balloons.
0: There you go. Just yeah. like two balloons.
1: Just like two balloons. I guess it would be one balloon. It's just one hand. Okay.
0: That's right. <laughs> you understand that nobody under 50 is going to understand that reference, right? Or over, Sure. Or everyone over everyone over knows 40, that
1: I reference. Yeah. Really? Anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, back to the thing. They're not near Olaf the healer's place right now, so Ade has to care for the wound himself. He cuts away some of the infected flesh and draws the pain and swelling out. Which is, what, that's got to be a description of draining the wound, right? Probably. I mean, that's usually how it's described, right?
0: Yeah, you have to say that this saga, whatever its faults, this saga is boosting the reputation of medieval medicine a bit. People are living. People keep recovering from serious
1: wounds. And now Aeth is successfully treating an infected wound. I mean, it's one thing when skilled healers like Thorvald and Olaf are doing this, but mm-hmm. Aeth's not even a healer professionally. And as we've said before, if we could trust Barth's saga, he was trained in the law. Right. Damn it, Thorth! I'm a lawyer, not a doctor! Something, something very much like yeah, that, I think, yeah. yes. Uh,
0: so, a while later, Aeth convenes the assembly, and we get to see the lawyer in action. He calls Skeggy, Asbjorn, and Thorth forward and establishes that he has been given the right to arbitrate settlement in the case.
1: Now, presumably Thor and Asbjorn are still pretty heavily bandaged and probably still pretty annoyed at one another.
0: Yeah, I mean they almost have to be, but they're at a thing, so they're required to maintain the peace. Athe says, "This is Oh, actually, I'm sorry. You've been doing Aeth's voice most of the time. Do you want to take this?" Sure,
1: yes. This is my settlement. For the killing of Ozur the chieftain, I award two hundreds of silver. The third hundred will be forfeit because of Ozur's plot against Thor's life and his known hatred of him. No compensation will be paid for Ozur's men because of their attacks on Thor. But I do award two hundreds for the killing of Orm, but also one hundred for the wound my father gave to Thor. Asbjorn will marry Sigrid as was planned, and the wedding will be at Thor's house. And Asbjorn... My foster father and I will give you an additional hundred in silver for the loss of your brother. Hmm. So that's a lot of stuff to keep track of, but yeah, the settlement yeah. announcement is pretty comprehensive. And it reviews a lot of what's happened in the saga so far.
0: Right. And the the mark of any good legal settlement is that both sides are unhappy with it. Yes. Uh, Skeggy says he doesn't think much of the terms, but he'll abide by them and keep the peace. And Thor says... I thank you for the settlement, Foster-son, though I won't take the hundred you awarded to me. My father Thord, nor his father Hordakari, would have taken a bribe for their own bodies, and neither will I. Skeggy can keep his money.
1: It's a pretty calculated insult, obviously, since Mm -hmm. Skeggy has just said that he will accept the terms and the compensation.
0: I suppose. It's also just a statement of fact. right? Skeggy hasn't taken any physical injury from Thorth. So there might not be the same implicit meaning to the compensation that Skeggy's getting.
1: Maybe. In any case, Thor's little speech goes over pretty well, and he's widely praised for his refusal to take the money offered to him.
0: Yeah. Oh, Oh. Uh. this is a minor note, but if you're following along and reading this saga in the Complete Sagas, which is pretty much the only in-print option available, uh, there's kind of an important typo at this moment. Uh, after both men speak, the text says that Skeggy was praised for his speech. That's not right. Uh, it's Thor whose refusal to accept money is praised, not Skeggy's grudging acceptance of compensation. Mm-hmm. The manuscript and the foreign reed, the Icelandic edition of the saga, both say, Halfti Thor verthing af malum vetsum. Uh, Thor got honor from this speech. Yeah. It's not a big deal, but it might lead to a misunderstanding about what sort of posture is shown to be praiseworthy.
1: Yeah, it's a good catch, John. Yeah, it does actually speak to some important issues about whether settlement by compensation is a viable solution to feud violence.
0: Well, I mean, different sagas come down differently on this one, so it's uh, always worth paying attention to the the vox populi, right? the voice of the people at moments like this in the saga. Yeah, It's an easy shorthand for the writer to signal to us how we should understand the game of honor in this specific context.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's nice to see that long dormant subplot about Aeth having a legal background finally paying off a little.
0: I mean, a very little. But yeah, no, he's, he's not bad at laying out a settlement.
1: No, he's mm-hmm. a perfect arbitrator. In addition to the fact that he's a lawyer, it's already well established that he's the only person in Iceland who both Thorth and Skaggy care about. Yeah, and in the public judgment, he's one man's
0: son and the other's foster son. So he's a fair choice as arbitrator. Sure. Uh, now, this sounds like we're wrapping up the saga, but we're not quite there yet.
1: No, peace is generally a temporary condition in this saga. And as Thord said back when he first got his nickname, this district will rarely be menace free.
0: Ominous, again with the ominous. Part 16 Two weddings and a funeral. Mm. So,
1: we've done that one before. What's that? Wait, that's a you know rehashing old titles here. What's up with that? I don't recall.
0: We've done a uh, lot of titles definitely. over the years, Dandy. I don't uh I don't have a list of them. Hmm. Definitely, definitely a redo. All right. All right. I'm disappointed. Well, then, uh, you know, after you after we finish recording this, you feel free to go back and edit in something better.
1: No, no. I'm gonna let you uh, wallow in your shame like a <laughs> like a a bog hog. That's me. That's me. The first and original bog hog, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> That's uh, Osbjorn.
0: Oh, there you go. Right, of course. It's one of uh, one of
1: our listeners wrote in and said, uh, "Wouldn't bog hog be be a great choice?" That is a good choice.
0: Be. That's actually a better yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so, um, one of the stipulations in that settlement that we discussed in the last section was that Asbjorn and Sigrid's wedding would be allowed to go forward as planned, and that Thor would host it.
1: Which means he's footing the bill.
0: Ah, well, he's pretty well off. That's not really a problem. And no matter how he feels about marrying his sister to the brother of the guy who caused him so much trouble, it's a point of pride for the host and for his sister that the wedding and feast should go well.
1: So everyone has a great time, and there's plenty of food and drink. And the author makes a point of saying that people are carousing all night, eventually falling asleep and then waking up in the morning and immediately rejoining the feasting. It's a nonstop party. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Goodman the Grunch would really hate that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The noise, 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 noise.
1: Yes. Uh, Now, Skeggy, as the uncle of the groom, is in attendance. And since Aeth is put in charge of seating everyone, he gives his father a high seat at the center of the action. But Skeggy's not in a partying mood. No. Uh, In fact, he's conspicuously
0: not partying. Hmm. Uh, Instead, he just sits frowning in his high seat. And eventually falls asleep there, without ever seeming to enjoy himself. Uh, for obvious reasons, Thor is not happy about that.
1: Yeah, this is another honor thing. Mm-hmm. And if it's a point of honor for Thor that everyone have a good time at his sister's wedding, a prominent guest sitting and glowering through the whole thing is a little bit of a blemish on that honor. Mm-hmm.
0: And a deliberate one. Right, Or at least Thor assumes it is. To give him credit, it might not be. Skeggy, we're told, is very tired from his journey. And he's not what a journey? young man anymore. The hmm? the farm is not far away here. Well, wait, 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 wait. I thought we established that it might be anywhere from 10 to 100
1: miles away. No, no, no. This this, this oh, is be held at Ross. You're, right. You're right. Which is right, right. across the, Good the point. way. Good point. You're right. Then yes. Very close by. He well, shouldn't be tired it's, at all.
0: It's a, t- it's a long journey. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, it never says he comes directly from his house.
1: Okay, whatever (laughs) Well, he still knows how to swing Sculpnung hard enough to cleave Thor's shoulder open So, Mm -hmm. no, I I think we can assume that there's some intent there Skeki chooses to be tired He chooses Mm -hmm. not to have a good time All right, have it your way Yeah, so if my high school and college years taught me anything It's how to deal with people who fall asleep early at a party Mm -hmm. So what's it going to be? Are we going to do shaving cream in the hand trick? A little cup of warm water? Yeah, drawing a mustache on. Pop a paper bag next to the ear. That gets results, usually.
0: How about uh, stealing their magical sword and drawing it in violation of the rules governing its use? <laughs> yeah, that one. Maybe do that one. And that's the one Thorith uses. Uh, he grabs Skofnung from where it's lying by Skeggy's chair and pulls
1: it from its sheath. Yeah, and Aeth sees this and tells Thor that it was a bad idea to do that. Yeah. It is in the nature of that sword that it must strike something every time it is drawn. You know, it's a kind of problem to have a sword that you have to actually kill people with all the time. That's not thats not a great deal. Yeah, I mean, only if you draw it, right? Just leave the thing in its sheath. There's no problem. I mean, easier said than done. I mean, what if you, you bend over the wrong way and it falls out, <laughs> then suddenly, you know... Does that oh, count as drawing the sword? Just imagine. It's dropping yeah. the sword. Uh, it's not as simple as that, though. Remember, in Cormac Saga, we... <laughs> We learned about all the rules that were governing the use of the sword. Uh, it's kind of a prima donna.
0: Yeah. Uh, remember, we saw that Cormac, when he pulled it out of the sheath the wrong way, it screamed in protest. Yes. Uh, but Thor's not about to be told what to do by a hunk of metal, uh, no matter how sharp and shiny it might be. He says, All right, I'll try it out and let it gnaw horse bones. And he runs out into the yard and stabs a horse that's standing nearby. <laughs>
1: I don't know if he stabs it, maybe strikes Ugh. it, I don't know, I'd like to think yeah. he's... Yeah, but either way, it's a little rough on the poor horse. He just wanted a little hay, and look at him now. Look, I, you can have a primid on a sword,
0: but once in a while, you may have to stab a horse with it. I don't make the rules.
1: <laughs> now, while this is going on, Skeggy wakes up and realizes that the sword and Thorth are both gone. Rutro. Rutro indeed. He runs out and finds Thor holding a bloody Skolvnung.
0: Yeah, presumably standing over a mortally wounded horse.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the circumstantial evidence is definitely against him. Uh-huh. Now, Aeth tries to deflect the attention by claiming it was his fault, though it's not clear how that would be possible. But that's yeah, what he and says. And Skeggy's
0: not buying it anyway. Uh, he and Thor agree at once to fight right there in the horse yard. Uh, mm-hmm. But Aeth and Asbjorn both rush in and get between them, and Aeth is able to, once again, force a legal settlement on the spot. Man. This time, Thorth gives self-judgment to Skeggi.
1: This guy's good. Now, that's usually a big deal in the sagas, mm-hmm. self-judgment, and here it is an olive branch, as it often is. Aeth pressures his father to accept the offer, and Skeggi offers him the modest price of ten cows. The fine is paid, and Thorth and Skeggy are once again able to at least pretend to be friends. So crisis averted, right? Right, and that's pretty much where they leave things.
0: Uh, They're never going to be buddies, these two. Uh, But their lives are at this point so intertwined that continuing their feud is almost unacceptable, no matter how much they'd like to.
1: Well, I mean, they're in-laws now, of a sort, so. Yeah, somewhat
0: distant ones, but yeah.
1: And Eidh remains a close tie between them. That's worth sure. acknowledging. And and some elements of this have worked out. Asbjorn is married to Sigrid and seems determined to make a
0: go of it as a member of the family. Because later in the year, Thorth makes a journey north to visit his old friend, Olaf the Healer. I hear wedding bells. Well, Thorth hopes you do anyway. <laughs> he still has to actually propose. Remember, he never actually got around to that a couple of years ago. Uh, but he tells Aeth that's what the trip's for, and he brings along what we can think of as his groomsmen. Aeth, his brothers, Eolf and Stangrim, and Asbjorn, who does seem to have been accepted as a member of the extended family. Yeah, and we don't really need to
1: dwell on this. Thorth proposes and Olaf accepts, naturally. Yay! And everything everything goes smoothly. And interestingly, Olaf actually hosts the wedding. And when they're married, they live at her farm at Miglabr. His brothers take over the farm at Ols, and everyone, particularly Thorth, do well in their new circumstances.
0: Yeah, and this really is the end of the main action of the saga. Uh, there is a coda, though. We promised uh, two weddings and a funeral, and we're one funeral short. Yeah,
1: well, keep this one quick. There's not a lot to it. I don't know if we need I to dwell I know there on isn't,
0: people. but it's still there. Uh, so Thorth still has this sideline building halls. And a man named Thorgils hires him to build one out on Eefjord. Uh Thor agrees, heads out to ride to Thorgils' place with one assistant, but they only get partway there when they see a large group of men on horseback riding toward them. Eighteen men, in fact.
1: Now, didn't we establish that we're measuring groups of men in tons now? How many tons Sorry, of men is so, that?
0: Uh, about two tons of men. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and I'm not going to bother calculating the weight of their horses, but it's a lot. Anyway, uh, Thor doesn't recognize the men, so he just gets off his own horse to speak with them.
1: Yeah, this is starting to feel like the way a saga protagonist dies. Yeah, we'll see. So Thor really doesn't know these people, which is a little surprising this late in the saga. Mm -hmm. But they know him, or at least one of them does. A large man. A large and
0: powerful looking
1: man. A large and angry, powerful looking man.
0: Oh, this is fun. We can just keep adding adjectives. Yes. Uh, what's he got to be angry about?
1: Well, I know you've heard this one before, but his name is Sorli the Strong. He's an uncle of Orm. Oh. And he'd like to avenge his nephew's death by killing Thorth. Unbelievable. This saga yep. is over, damn
0: it. Roll up the carpet. Wash the drapes. Chip the glasses and crack the plates. Ah, that's what Bilbo Baggins hates.
1: Yeah, except it's not over. It's not. Not as long as Orm's yeah. family keeps producing these would-be defenders of the family honor.
0: Well, and we should also say that this guy, Sorely, he wasn't scouring the countryside looking for Thorth. He came to Iceland just to visit some relatives, and he's just heard about Orm's death. So for him, this is all brand new.
1: Yeah, and he just happened to be riding this way. That's right. With 17 other armed men.
0: Look, I know what it looks like. <laughs>
1: I mean, I guess ultimately it doesn't matter yeah. They found each other now and, well Demands of honor and all that I, We'll see what happens Except
0: that honor's already been satisfied Thorth paid compensation for or- Orm's death To Orm's brother They shook hands on it and everything
1: Yeah, and Thorth does say that But sorely says You haven't paid me a thing But I won't take advantage here My men will sit by While you and I fight this out And even if you kill me I forbid my men to do you any harm.
0: And Thor sighs a little, gets his sword out, and wades into one last fight over the long-dead Orm.
1: And it's a long fight. And Thor and Sorli both soon realize they're very evenly matched. But they're both aggressive fighters by nature, so instead of a long defensive struggle, they're both covered in wounds and bleeding badly.
0: Right, and it becomes an endurance contest, right? a test of who can stay on their feet longer. And eventually, and this is without a final blow being struck, Sorley collapses to the ground, dead of his
1: injuries. But Thor is so badly wounded that he can't get back on the horse himself. His assistant manages to get him up to a nearby farm where a farmer named Einar gives Thor the bed. But his injuries are so great that he can't move any further. And he spends the entire spring lying in Einar's bed but he does recover.
0: Which is a bit of a surprise, really. Why? Well, I mean, in most sagas, this would be the final fight, right? That that one struggle too many that marks the end of the protagonist's life. Mm-hmm. But not Thor. He eventually gets out of Einar's bed, even manages to get out to Ejafjord to build the hall that summer. So instead of a blaze of glory... Thorth is going out as the owner-operator of a small but thriving
1: construction business. It's definitely not the usual end of a saga. Oh, and to wrap up the loose ends, Sorley's mm-hmm. men are true to their word and don't attack Thorth. But they do then ride to tell Skeggy and Osbjorn about Sorley's death. And mm-hmm. when they get the news, they agree that Thorth was justified in defending himself, especially since Orm's death was already compensated for under Icelandic law. Finally. Yeah. The entire saga just seems to be
0: worn out at this point, really. (laughs) We get a a few lines about the lives of the surviving people in the story. Uh, Asbjorn and Sigrid have a happy marriage and eventually return to Norway and raise a family there. Aeth builds a successful trading business and later settles down on a farm of his own where Skeggy comes to live with him in his old age. Uh, Aeth remains friends with Thor for the rest of their lives And Thor and Olaf raise a family with, quote, many prominent people in Iceland as their descendants. Sure. And the final lines of the saga are, Thor of Menace died in his bed. We have not heard any more true stories about him. Of course, it's an open question as to whether we've heard any true stories about him at all. But but there you go. And they all
1: lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Except for the many, many... Many people who got killed along the way, but... So many people. Yeah. Should be a lively discussion when we get to the body count, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the end of the saga of Thord Menace. Something of a whimper, but it's nice to see one of these end at least sort of happily. It doesn't happen sure. that often.
0: Uh, but of course, we're not done yet, really. There's still the Judgments episode to come. that's uh-huh. for next time, obviously. Yeah. Now, we could just put this saga to bed and walk away at this point. That sounds like a plan. Let's let's do that. Well, before we do, there's something else I wanted to mention.
1: Uh, okay, we should have that?
0: covered this last time. When we were talking about the manuscript tradition of the saga, but I'm going to bring it up now.
1: What are we going to talk about here? Ulfjord's
0: laws. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Ulfjord's laws, they're not in this version of the saga.
0: Exactly.
1: Okay. Yeah. But that may be the least enticing teaser either of us has ever done. But fine. I know where you're headed. Go ahead.
0: Oh. There's about three people listening to this who just muttered, it's about time, too. <laughs> this section will be sure. for you, you muttering few.
1: Okay. Well, I I claim the muttering few as a 90s emo band name, if I could.
0: No. The muttering few sounds like a Cistercian monastic punk band. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> uh, okay. So Ulfjot's uh, Law. We mentioned in our second episode on this saga that there's this difficult manuscript history to deal with. Because of what's apparently two different attempts to write the story of Thord Menace as a saga.
1: Well, you know, the, the more robust version is this one, the one we've been reading that uh, Katrina Atwood translated for the Complete Sagas Collection.
0: Yeah, but there's another more fragmentary version that hits some of these same story beats, but as a different narrative.
1: Right, and rather than create a diplomatic edition by trying to fold all that material back into one story, Atwood went with the plan of following just about everyone else and basing her version on the more complete version of the story. Right. And I think we both agree that that was the right call. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's some interesting stuff in the fragment, though, but trying to make one story out of the two of them, like we said in the first episode, it just—or was it the second? I don't remember when Mm -hmm. we talked about it, but it really wouldn't be true to what the texts themselves are. So go with one.
0: Or, yeah, at least our best guess of what they are, sure. Uh, But every decision that an editor makes comes with consequences. So I just wanted to touch on the Ulfjot Law information as something that's in the fragment version but not in the longer text. Right. So, mm-hmm. and the consequent here is, consequence here is that it's not now available to us as readers in English. Uh, so a bit of context. Uh, Ulfjot was a 10th century Icelander. Uh, according to Ari the Learned, uh, Ulfjot was dispatched to Norway by the chieftains of Iceland to study gulathing law, uh, the legal system of local and regional law courts in Norway. He yes. spent three years or so there, and when he returned, he taught the others what he'd learned. Uh The laws that are then established were named for Ulfjot, and in 930, they were instituted as the basis for the Icelandic legal system.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a hugely important moment, since that's usually seen as marking the end of the settlement period and the beginning of the Commonwealth era. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we're getting into the gray area here between the national myth and the history of Iceland, but there's no reason to assume that Ulfjot and his law aren't historical.
0: Right. I mean, someone introduced those laws. And whether it was one man or a sort of committee of people, it's entirely possible that someone like Ulfjot would have done reconnaissance in other lands right? as, I guess, sort of preparing for the move to Icelandic thing law.
1: Hmm. Okay, so the code of Ulfjot was fairly extensive, but the section that was preserved in the fourth saga fragment was mostly to do with the division of the island into the local assemblies, right? Yeah. And then there's some other bits, too, about temple maintenance and that sort of thing. Sure.
0: Uh, And without that version, we lose those bits from the saga. Um, But again, that's a choice that's hard to criticize, since to include them would involve warping the saga as it survives. Um, And there's actually some good news here, because as Jenny Jokins points out, there's another place to find that information, and that is included in the complete sagas.
1: It's just not in a saga. See, now you're just being enigmatic, but I think you're talking about the Thauder.
0: Uh, Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. It's the tale of Thorsten Bull's leg,
1: and we covered it on the podcast a while back. Yeah, but if I remember, we didn't really get into the legal stuff too much. Well, we didn't get into the flood stuff. Yeah, we did talk about the way the story begins with this oddly disconnected explanation of the division of the island into the local and regional things and the all thing. That part
0: is connected. And then it goes into laws about animal sacrifice at the assemblies the size of the gold torques the
1: chieftain had to wear at the
0: public assembly, right, and why it was illegal to sail into harbor with a dragon's head on the prow of your ship.
1: Well, I mean, that's to avoid upsetting the Landwatter, the uh, the earth spirits.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, you're very smart. Uh, now, this is all stuff that's uh, attributed to Olfield's original law code, right? Um, and it, at the time, we were kind of remarking on how sort of extraneous it all seemed to that short story. But what it was was a preservation of these laws. Uh, Now, the world of document usage, which all these texts are linked to, uh, there's a reason why studying document usage is a life's work for some people. Uh, But the upshot here is that if anyone has been down in the mouth because we aren't covering the fragment version, you can maybe use the episode on Thorsten Bull's leg as a salve for your soul.
1: And it's worth keeping in mind that this kind of thing is nearly always invisible as you're reading the edition of a pre-modern text, whether it's translated or not. Translation isn't the only way that texts change for modern publication. See, that's
0: where I was going with this, yeah.
1: Okay, good. Excellent.
0: All right. Now that I've got that off my chest, uh, let's pull out the rune sack and answer a listener question.
1: Interesting. Okay, yeah, I, I have a rune sack question about nicknames that's aimed at you, John, but uh, I'm not sure if you're ready for it. Do you want to do that one?
0: Uh, I think give me another episode for that one because it might fit very well into the nickname section in Judgments. I can answer it next time
1: next time i mean we don't usually answer questions like that in the uh judgment episode but if you're interested i uh i suppose we could maybe do it there okay
0: i mean look this is our we're we're driving this horse right we don't (laughs) we can do wherever we want uh besides patience is a virtue worth training andy our listeners
1: will be fine all right all right i'm sure they'll survive
0: but I, i i do have a question that's right up your alley oh you do i do uh, I know you've done a lot of work on the political and social relationships in the sagas. And uh, one of our listeners, uh, Luis Cerotto, uh contacted us on Facebook to ask for more info
1: on how the Office of the Godorth works. Ooh, very interesting. Okay, go ahead. Uh, what is the question here? Luis writes, Hey guys,
0: love the show. It's one of my favorite podcasts and I'm just about caught up. Hooray! Uh, but I was wondering how the succession to a Gothi works. So I understand that it's an asset that can be passed out in a family. But at the same time, it doesn't seem to follow any ordinary medieval inheritance customs like primogeniture. In the sagas, we see the title going from a man to his brothers or brothers-in-law and not
1: to the sons. Anyway, keep up the great work. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Luis. Thank you. Uh, and the answer, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear, is a little bit complicated. I never would have expected you to say that. Well, it is. And I think we could start by addressing a common misconception about early medieval, especially Germanic, tribal lordship and kingship.
0: You really think there are any common misconceptions about early Germanic tribal lordship? <laughs> I mean, this is going back pretty far. Yeah. Are you sure you need to ride the Denorian back that far?
1: <laughs> Just for a moment, yeah. And, and that's a nice reference to our Denorian. It's been a while. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, if we look back at early medieval England, Scandinavia, and the northern Germanic territories, we're going to see that kingship and other important political offices didn't always pass from father to son, as Mm -hmm. we kind of think of them. That's a later innovation and one that doesn't take firm hold in England even, for example, until the Norman Conquest but the theory of germanic kingship or chieftaincy suggests that a ruler could be succeeded by his brothers or his sons or his sister's son or another male who wants who who's deemed worthy mm. and it wasn't always the ruler himself who would choose his successor i mean if you look at early sometimes english history sometimes whoever can lift up a hammer and if he be deemed worthy then <laughs> <laughs> exactly no now, if you, uh, if you look at the uh, early English history, for example, uh, we see that the ruling elite were often working together to elect the successor of a dying or deceased king. Yeah, for example, after the death of King Alfred the Great, uh, there was a lot
0: of debate about who should succeed him, uh, whether it should be his son, Edward the Elder, or his nephew, Athelwald, the son of Alfred's brother, Athelred. Uh Both of them had supporters pushing their case, but the Witan, that's the High Council of Noblemen, the sort of the the tribal elders, as it were, uh, chose Edward to be the best successor to King Alfred. Uh, So it did go to the sun in that case. But the assumption that it could have been Athelwald was strong enough that it led Athelwald into rebellion against the newly crowned King Edward and the men who supported him.
1: Yeah. And this is something that you can see play out in the historical novels of Bernard Cornwell or in the Last Kingdom series on Netflix, if you want.
0: Among other places, yes. Uh, But you were building to a point Does that involve talking about Icelandic Gothar at some point? Since Luis did ask us a question.
1: So, you know, I I like to take the long way around. uh, But the point Uh is to say that we take for granted the notion that titles and offices must pass from father to son. This more indirect process of inheritance and transfer of power from the early Germanic kingdoms can be helpful as a model for understanding how Icelanders, who come over from Norway and other Germanic territories in the ninth century, may have constructed their own political institutions of leadership.
0: Okay, I I feel like you're edging closer to it now.
1: I am, maybe, maybe. Uh, Now, to maybe try to answer the question properly, we need to remember that the office of Gothorth differed from continental and British European offices of authority in some significant ways. A Gothi was not an individual who was divinely ordained to rule, for example.
0: Right, no, although they did sometimes play a significant role as religious leaders.
1: Yes. Uh, they take
0: do. a Thorolf Mosterbeard, for example, from uh, mm-hmm. Um He's a uh, the gothi of his region and the religious authority as well.
1: Right, and and that's true. And I know that the, the word gothi uh, supposedly comes from uh, a word for god, or there's some kind of spiritual connection there in the etymology. Right. And you'll
0: frequently in older translations you'll see it tr- you'll see it translated as priest rather than chieftain. Right.
1: Yeah, Snorri the priest is one of the first right. ways I remember seeing Snorri gothi translated. Yep. Um, but again it's not always the case uh, there's far more of a political at least in the sagas there's far more of a political edge to the, uh, the, to the office um, mm-hmm. there's a lot we don't know about the origins of the Gothorth and their religious function in the early days is one of those areas that we can only piece together from scant sources that we have available but I think another important difference that we should acknowledge between traditional offices of kingship and leadership and the Icelandic Gothorth was that the Gothi's position was somewhat limited to his legally defined role Whereas kings and noblemen of the continent ruled with a great deal of authority, a Gothi merely attended to his duties prescribed by law, like calling meetings, acting as judges, settling disputes, and establishing fair trade prices. So the Gothi would also be expected to maintain relationships with his thingmen, who were all voluntary followers. Very different from what we see on the continent.
0: Yeah, but... Right now, we're just working to define the office of the Gothorth. and I can see why that's important, but uh, that's enough context. How about Louise's question? I'm going to keep holding your feet to the fire here. All right. How is the Gothorth passed on from one man to the next? If it's not primogeniture, then what is it?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think always contexts are important, and history is important mm-hmm. to understanding these. I know you appreciate that, um, but let's condense the answer to this, and then we'll see if you want to expand any of this, and I'll kind of turn it over to you if you want. Mm-hmm. The Gothorth is treated like a private possession, something that is owned by an individual and can be passed on through inheritance, even to a daughter, though the daughter can't actually be a Gothi. She would have to transfer it to someone else. Mm. Um, It it can also be given from one person to the next. It can be bought or it can be sold. So like a piece of property, it can be held by one individual or shared among men.
0: Right. I mean, so we saw a really interesting example of this back when we did Volten'sdala Saga.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the uh when Ingaman the old died uh his five sons uh they all inherited some part of his kind of holdings yeah right and they they divide among themselves one of them gets the the chattels uh one of them gets the livestock one of them gets the farm one of them gets gets the Godorth. right uh and it's sort of it's just one of the assets that their father has to leave to his children it's not regarded as being sort of the uh, a title that goes along with being the oldest child or anything. It's simply one of the things that a father has that he leaves behind him.
1: Mm-hmm. In this yeah. case,
0: it goes to sons because there are several sons and because they need to find something to give to each of the sons. Yeah. Uh, but then it a takes an entire of- generation to sort of bring all that back together uh, after it's been sort of passed out to so many different people.
1: Yeah, and in that example, you can see the value that is associated with the goddorth. Sure. Um, as a position of authority, the Godorth is a commodity that many men, especially the more ambitious men of Iceland, uh, especially in the early history, uh, they would have wanted to claim one of those goddorths for themselves. Mm-hmm. And This led many families to divide up that goddorth, sharing it among sons or brothers so that each one of them can call himself a gothi.
0: Right. If you go... Go way back to our very first saga, Problem Kill Saga. Um, if you remember, the uh have arranged a kind of sharing agreement among themselves about their chieftaincy. Yeah. Right? That uh, Thorkel streak is uh, traveling and so he's given over his share of the Godorth to his brother Thorgir uh, and says, you know, I think it's in better, better hands with you anyway, so that's cool with me. But technically they share the chieftaincy. Uh, they have a third brother who also has a share of that chieftaincy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just kind of have agreed among themselves that Thorger is the best one to represent them. In any case, uh, breaking up a chieftaincy like that, right, dividing it among brothers or dividing it within a family, doesn't create a new area of jurisdiction within the region. right? Uh, the, it's still one chieftaincy. Yeah. There are strict rules governing the number of Godar. Uh, starting at about 965, right, they limited the number of the Godars to 39. Uh, and with that firm limit on the number of Godars comes an increase in the sharing of the title of Gothi.
1: Exactly, yeah. So, you know, with that, I think I've kind of answered the question at this point, and Mm -hmm. you've helped me along. Uh, The Gothorth is a commodity that came with formal legal responsibilities, but no formal authority to rule over the people within a given region.
0: Right, no, that's well said. Um, But even though there was no formal authority to rule with the office, a Gothi did wield a great deal of political influence in the region, especially if he was a, a powerful man. Uh, he could serve as a judge, as an advocate for his thingmen, right? He sort of had roles to play in the
1: in the community. And can help one case go this way, another case go that way, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And this is why we see the office of Godorth popping up and being passed around so much in the sagas. It's an office that carries with it a number of significant benefits for the man or the men who hold that Godorth, not mm-hmm. least of which is simply the honor of being recognized as a Gothi.
0: Right. And there's expenses attached to that job as well, right? It's, it's been established that a chieftaincy could actually be a ruinously expensive thing for a person to hold if they if they didn't have a steady source of income.
1: Well, that uh, steady that, source of income turns into your ability to arbitrate cases, to advocate for your thingmen, and they pay you back in oftentimes in wealth, in movable right. wealth.
0: But that goes back to what I was saying earlier about being a powerful man, being somebody people would go to with their problems. Uh, yeah. We have seen weaker chieftains.
1: Yeah, One of the things that you see in discussions of the Gothorth or the chieftaincies in books and articles is that they really need a, a high charisma ability. What? You know, you got to roll high uh, charisma oh, checks in order to be a good Gothi. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's fact.
0: Um, yeah. So I think we're going to crit fail that. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> we would, yeah. So this, this, what we're talking about here really, I mean, what it really boils down to is that this is just one more of those things that is at play in that game of honor and reputation right the the key to so much of what goes on in the sagas is the 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 concern almost the preoccupation that public people have with their reputation with their honor yeah. and a chieftaincy carries with it a great deal of uh, uh public standing right a great deal of yeah. honor that they can sort of they can they can accrue to their name mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think the motivations behind the characters Maneuvering toward a chieftaincy has a lot to do with that, a lot to do with the, the desire for the, uh, the public esteem that goes along with being a chieftain.
1: Yeah. And and with that, I think we can end the conversation. It's, uh, like I said, a complicated subject. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're interested in learning more about it, I recommend you pick up a copy of Jesse Byock's Viking Age Iceland. It's really accessible and uh, widely available uh, still. Uh, he's got a whole chapter in there on the Gothi thingman relationship, uh, where he talks about the origins, the powers, and the evolution of the Gothor throughout the book. Uh, it's oh, pretty yeah, cool Oh, yeah, it's stuff. a good one, yeah. 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 And if you're really invested in the subject, then I want to recommend you find a copy of Jon Vidar Sigursson's Chieftains in Power in the Icelandic Commonwealth. That one's a little harder to get, but it is a great book with lots of examples from the sagas. Okay, great.
0: Uh, so Before we finish,
1: let's uh, tell the people how to get in touch with us if they have a question or a comment of their own. Sure, yeah. But we would really love to hear what you all thought of the saga of Thor menace, uh, <laughs> and if you get those comments in soon, like within the next two weeks, we may be able to add them to our conversation in our Judgments episode.
0: Right? Who do you think deserves to be outlawed? Is Thor the best Thingman option, or maybe you'd pick Thor? Then again, there's always <laughs> Thor. Uh
1: huh. I see what you're doing there. But sure, yeah. Uh, and who will win best bloodshed, or notable witticisms, or all the other categories that we uh, that we do there? You're just giving up now, aren't you? No, I, I honestly, I just forgot the categories, but no matter. <laughs> it's late. Share your thoughts and your questions about this or any other saga we've covered. And you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram at Saga Thing Podcast or via Twitter where we are Saga Thing Pod. Or you can email us at Sagathing Podcast at gmail.com.
0: And if those options don't work for you, you can uh, form a small band of men and try to kill Thord Menace. All the cool kids are doing it. Get involved
1: well, how does that get a message to us? I don't really understand.
0: Well, you're not going to be able to kill him. So, you know, after you fail to, you can always ask him to deliver a message.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you might be dead, John. I don't think the whole thing doesn't work. I mean, look, look, it's not perfect, you know. Uh, All right. Excellent. Well, good luck with that. Uh, But until next time, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now.
0: Any common misconceptions about gerbil, German gerbil?
1: About gerbils? <laughs>
0: yes. Ask Richard Beer. <clears throat> <Gere. laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> dumbass! Uh, oh God. <laughs>